0: The sermon text reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8-15, through 15, and chapter 9, verses 6-12. through 12. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: This fall we've been in a series entitled uh, DNA because DNA is how we express ourselves, right? It's how genetically and physically we're expressed into the world. Such is also the case for a church, that we have a DNA. And the question is, how do we express that DNA into the world? And we're coming to something that's pretty fundamental, I think, regarding our DNA here at City Church Eastside. It should be true not just for City Church, but also for the global church community, and that is generosity. I suspect that you probably had the same experience of that as, as I do. There's a, We know it's a fundamental trait of existence, certainly as Christians, if you identify that way this morning. But you probably also feel this gap, don't you? I certainly do in my life. I certainly feel a gap between what I know to be true about what generosity can be uh, for myself and for, for others, but also the reality of my life that sometimes there's this gap between what I want and actually what I do. And so it's a beautiful passage that we're looking at this morning that Paul's bringing us to. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is actually part of a whole larger passage here, but we're only looking at a portion of it for the sake of time. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to our church family about how do we close that gap of generosity if we feel like, there is a gap in our lives. How do we do that? And there are three things that we're going to talk about this morning. One is you have to first acknowledge that there is a gap, and that's the problem. But then secondly, it's also to see the benefits for our life that generosity brings. And finally, we're going to say, how do we then actively do that? What is the last step, as it were, to actually become generous men and women? So let's jump in with the first thing here, and that is the problem of a life without generosity. We've not been in Corinthians before, and so uh, this is the church of Corinth in near modern-day Athens, Greece. And there, Paul was dealing with a people uh, that were relatively well-off. They were Gentiles, and compared to their Jewish brethren in Jerusalem, they were actually fairly well-off because in Jerusalem there's more poverty. uh, There was a famine that was going on. And so Paul basically is on a tour doing famine relief, right? So this is like the original Live Aid concert. Some of you will remember that. Uh, but without the music, mind you. And, and so they're doing a famine relief uh, collection here. And what happens, what we're told is in verses 10 and 11 of chapter uh, 9, excuse me, chapter 8, we're told there that basically they had pledged money. They had given a pledge, but they hadn't fallen through yet. And so listen to what it says in chapter eight, verse 8, because this is the context. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. How will we know that your love is genuine? By following through. But I want you to notice two things about motivation here. One, Paul's motivation. I want you to know, what does Paul say? Paul doesn't say, I want to browbeat you as a pastor to give more. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to emotional man- manipulation. Oh, if you only knew our struggles. Sort of, that sort of thing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't compel them. He encourages them. And really, I hope that's what you hear from me this morning as well. As we think about not just treasure, money, but also time and talent. Well, often we forget about that. It's time, talent, and treasure. But you hear from your pastor, encouragement. About what the life of Christ can look like in the place like generosity. But what Paul is doing in his motivation, he's speaking to a broken motivation for his people here in the church in Corinth. What do I mean by that? Well, look at with me at chapter 9 verse 7 now Each one must give as he's decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver Evidently in the church of Corinth they were struggling with motivation I think they're struggling for a number of different reasons Number 1 the very nature of generosity has to be voluntary I know as I look around this room and I know your stories enough and and being that we're in a city environment I know that we're pretty politically diverse we've talked about that before And so I suspect that philosophically we have differences in understanding what is the role of the government in our lives, right? But regardless of where you are on that perspective, none of us would say, well, you know what? When the government performs its services, it's being generous. Why? Because you're compelled by the IRS to pay your taxes. None of you say, I can't wait for April 15th. What an opportunity. None of us do that, regardless of your philosophy of life. No, it's part of your contract, as it were, about being, uh, some, you know, being under government. is like, okay, I'm going to give, or you know, I have to give this certain amount, and those services will hopefully be used well. But what Paul's talking about is something completely voluntary. At the very heart of generosity, you must be compelled by a voluntary spirit. That's what I want you to hear first. You have to be compelled by a changed heart, in other words, by a desire. The tithe, it's interesting. You know, we talk about tithes and offerings, but sometimes we don't, uh, we, we use the same language, but actually that's Old Testament language. Because in the Old Testament, if you were a follower of God, in other words, if you were Jewish, you had to, it was a requirement. You had to give 10% to the temple, it was considered a tax, actually. And so you were required to give for the workings of the temple and the mission out of the temple, basically, you see. But when you get to the New Testament, that's not the language you actually see from Jesus or from Paul. Instead, you see something about giving out of generosity. Let me give you an example from the Gospel of Luke. There's a section in there, of course there are many places in the gospel the gospels in general where Paul, excuse me, Paul, Jesus is doing it looks like combat warfare with the religious leaders like the Pharisees for instance. I mean, he's constantly going back and forth with them and in some cases he condemns them. This is one of the places. It's in Luke chapter 11, listen to verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. I want you to hear that. Jesus is radically condemning people who are rigorous with their tithe. Why? He tells us, your heart's not in it. There's no love of God. And the justice here is a relational justice. In other words, you're you're doing the right things on the outside, but your heart is corrupt. In fact, in, in verse 39, he uses the word greed. He says that's the problem. He says the opposite of generosity is greed. And so even when you're doing the quote-unquote right thing for the wrong reason, it doesn't delight the heart of God. Now, I, I think that's so important for us. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a former pastor... Uh, He's written a number of books. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods where he talked a lot about money. He's also, in this passage, was really helpful for me just thinking through this. One of the things that he said, he said, if you give for any reason other than the right reason, generosity. You're not giving, you're investing. Here's what he meant by that. If you give out of a sense of guilt, and you say, well, I haven't given to City Church in a long time. And after this sermon on generosity... I better do it. Well, guess what? You're doing it for yourself. Because you feel bad. And so you're trying to make up. That's what guilt does. Guilt forces us or, or compels us to see, how can I make it up? I don't want to feel guilty. Who, who, who would like to feel good? No one. And so how do I get rid of guilt? Well, if I just give a little bit more. Or maybe if I give, you know, it'll be noticed around the office. You see. Like there are all these different reasons why we can give of our time and our talent and our treasure, but if we give for the wrong place, it's just what happened with the Pharisee. God says, I see your heart, and that's what I want. I want your heart relationally be connected to mine. And so I, I want you to be connected to me. And even beyond that, I want you to see just what an example of generosity can look like. Elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is at the temple, and he's watching people, wealthy and poor, give their offerings to the temple. Listen to what happens in chapter 21, verses 1-4. through 4. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This woman gave sacrificially. And what's fascinating is Paul's not even calling the Corinthians to give sacrificially. There's another group called the Macedonians. Right before this passage, he actually says, man, these people, they were in dire straits. Uh, they were impoverished and they gave generously here. He's not even calling the Corinthians because it's a fairly wealthy congregation. As he's not even saying that. He says, you don't have to do that from a place of sacrifice. But What I want you to see here is what happens when the heart is changed. Uh, you may have heard this before, but let me say this. Do you know who gives more as a percentage of their income? The poor or the wealthy? You probably know where I'm going with this. The more poor you are, the higher the percentage that you give away. Study after study shows that. Why? I think part of the reason is twofold. One is that the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to feel self-sufficient and therefore entitled. The less likely you are to see gift. And the more poor you are, the more empathic you are. Because you know what it's like to need. Financially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. I can tell you in all the years of my ministry, I've seen that play out over and over again. The more aware you are of your poverty, all the different forms that it takes, the more likely you are to be generous to others in need. And so Paul is talking again to a fairly well-off congregation. And he's saying, are you aware of your need? Are you aware of a generous spirit? And there's that gap so last thing I want to say here about that is is this what happens when